I'm Sam. I'm Rob. And I'm Joe. And welcome to Athenaeum, a podcast about writing, literature, and the culture that feeds them. The music for this episode comes from Ivan Dutch at ivandutch.com. And today we're discussing Dune, the 2021 version of the movie. So it's the part one of the book that we discussed last time. And it came out, I think, in December. So it's very, very new. And I think it was actually pretty cool. Um, I think there's always a hesitation going into a book as big as Dune and turning that into a movie and hoping that it goes well. <laughs> the world building of the book was just so big. But I, I will say, like, on the whole, I liked it. What do you guys think? Oh, I love that movie. It's it, this. It's so well done, and the visuals and the music all just combine together so beautifully. Um, I will say, I, I think I heard more people come out of that movie confused than uh, probably any other movie that came out th- this last year. <laughs> but Dune is a big, Ooh, big topic. What were they confused about? I think a lot of my my friends who saw it had read the book previously so i'm curious on folks who maybe hadn't read the book or hadn't read the book in a re- like recently so one was um they kind of didn't understand they didn't understand fully what spice why spice was so important which i found interesting because i thought the movie did a pretty good job of explaining that um the big thing was they did not understand the mother's uh, like her group she was with and what their end goal was and they were just very confused about mm. the interactions um, the like the political interactions that are going because there is in the movie too a lot of undertones that when you have read the book I think makes sense because you know a little bit more of the background between the groups but even given that because I originally read this book six years ago I think now so I watched the movie and then I reread the book and I I mean I thought that it did a pretty good job but I had read the book before so I will say this movie as well is a very clear ramp into it being a two-part movie Mm -hmm. and so I think it builds a lot into what we're going to see when the the second part comes out Yeah, having uh, I uh, so I rewatched the movie. Uh, prior to us talking about this, actually, I actually went and bought it. <laughs> I didn't mind buying it. First movie I bought in like six years, didn't mind because it was just that good. Um, I could definitely see like what parts were confusing. Now having seen the movie before and then read the book and then going back to the movie, I. I'm, I'm much easier, uh, excuse me, I'm much more able to pick up on like where they talk about certain things. But I think when you're watching it for the first time and you kind of have no idea of anything that's going on, that all passes by very quickly. Uh, I think too quickly for people to really understand. Um, like the scene where they're explaining what the Bezzy Jesuit or what the Benny Jesuit are after. It's like two scenes and both of them are very quick. I mean, you've got the Reverend mother 
who kind of talks about it for about 10 seconds. And then you've got Jessica who's talk, who talks to Paul about it for about 20 seconds. <laughs> it's like, if I will you... also say on this topic, they don't talk about how Paul was trained or they don't show it in the movie, how Paul was trained in the Benny Gesserit ways. And so that emphasis that you get in the book is really just like background that is yeah. shown in the movie. And I mean, that's the thing too. I, I, I did get the impression that it wasn't like a huge part of his childhood because he's still kind of bad at it. Like literally every time he has to use the voice, Jessica has to, Jessica like tells him mm-hmm. a way to do it right. Except for the time where he used it against her. Yeah. <laughs> uh, un, un, um, what's the word? Un, consensually? Yep. Uh, this, this was after the doctor landed. But yeah, it was it was very confusing. I think the first time I didn't even realize how confused I was, and now going back, I'm like, I don't remember them saying this, but this is really important to know. So, that's it's the kind of movie I think you have to rewatch, get a little information yeah. on beforehand, maybe. I will say it is also a very well done movie. That rewatching it is not mm-hmm. painful. Like, if you told me I had to rewatch Ready Player One to understand all of it, I would laugh and say, no, thank you. <laughs> right? I think the, but this is a movie I'd be willing to rewatch. And the only thing with this movie is it is a time commitment when you watch it. Like, it, it, it's it's a long movie. Um, it's like two and a half hours, right? Yeah. And, it, yeah. and the reason I say it's a commitment is it's it isn't paced like, you know, the Marvel movies are or a lot of other movies that are coming out now where it's fast, fast, move, move, move. This is a movie that it moves well, but it takes its time. Like, it's much better than mm-hmm. the original movie from the... I think it's from the 70s. I think it's the 80s, right? Yeah, 80s. You're right. It was the 80s. The 80s. Yeah. That one is slow. Oh my goodness. But it is like... And it's not a movie personally, but I can like start and then get up and walk away from. Like... I actually sit and watch it. Yeah. I'd say this is a movie you can't, like, diddle on your phone during, right? I feel like there's so many movies. Marvel, I think, is a good example. Like, there are the big scenes, and then there's the in-between scenes, and then there's the big scenes. Maybe I'm oversimplifying and offending a lot of Marvel fans here. But (laughs) there's so much subtlety. Like, as you said, like, 10 seconds of conversation with the Reverend Mother shape this movie in a very different way than if you don't have those 10 seconds and if you ran to go get your popcorn or your your soda or something during that time you lose a core part of the overall infrastructure of the movie yeah same to clearly there are spoilers at the end when he is fighting um that i'm gonna call him a warrior for lack of a better term the actual fight itself was very fast and efficient, but that set the tone going into the next movie, really, more so than the current movie. But if if you weren't paying attention to the subtleties of what he was doing and why they were so amazed by him, the next movie will pick up at the end of this one. And we've read the books, and we know that that plays a huge role into how he's inducted into that society and kind of the roles he ends up taking on. Oh, yeah. Yeah. 
And, you know, I mean, he's the prophesized for them. And that kind of, like, was one of the things that cements that for them. Yeah, if you, there's so much shown visually in this movie. And you can see a, a distinct difference. Uh, the choreography of the fights was so good. You can see a distinct oh, yeah. difference between the way that, like, um, when when there's, like, Duncan Idaho and he's fighting, like, you know, he's just carving through the Sardaukar. And he's kind of just moving off of, like, raw power and also knowing where to strike. Whereas every time that Paul fights, he, he's, like, very close up. He's do almost doing martial arts. And it's just this sort of, like, uh, slap boxing almost. But... That was a big thing in the book version of that fight where because of the shields they have to like fight in a particular way mm -hmm. and paul kind of gets roughed up a little bit in the first part of that fight it was downplayed a lot in the movie uh it wasn't as bad in the movie but because he wasn't fighting in the way that he needed to he was trying to fight in a way that would pierce his shield but once he got the hang of that combat man I mean, it's such oh. it's so satisfying to just see him like slap away literally every attack from Jameis, put his blade to his neck, do it again, do it again, and then finally he kills him like so quick. Uh and it it really I mean if you're a fan who has like you know, really very limited contact with like other cultures and how somebody else might fight. Yeah, that would blow your mind. But I want to talk also about um, Jessica uses a lot of sign language in the movie. Oh, yes. Being and able to see the sign language made so much more sense. In the book, you're just like, and then I saw sign language, and the sign language said, there are bad guys, <laughs> right? And you go... But it's just, it, like, feels the same as, like, if you were to read. And then Jessica said, there are bad guys. But to see the subtleties of, like, how it's not, like, American Sign Language that is, like, big and emotive and, like, comes through through facial expressions. But almost like, um, like, baseball signs, right? When they're, like, doing a few small signs for emergencies. Yeah. That's very subtle. Well, and... Like, I very much got what you were supposed to do, that it's supposed to be a more secretive, subtle thing. Um, it actually reminded me a lot of uh, when you, in movies where people train to read lips. And so they, I, I don't know if you guys have seen these movies, these are kind of old movies, where they would communicate back and forth, not actually saying anything, but moving their lips so that if you were able to read lips, you could then read it from a really far off way without anyone else really knowing what's going on like knowing that something was but not exactly what it was yeah and that that really i mean it to me the movie is just so much more effective than the book because of yeah. these visual elements like what you can convey through just good cinematography and good directing uh like, in the book, I, I remember feeling like this was barely sci-fi. Uh, there was, like, some mention of, like, science advancements. But uh, to be able to see them, and when you see the ships in Dune, 
the spaceships in Dune are absolutely massive. It's not like Star Wars where you got like a car in space, basically. These spaceships are like they're huge just obelisks of metal and and presumably some other stuff. They're not very intricate like the Star Destroyers, where they've got all of these like protrusions and and stuff on them. They're really just like these big hunks of metal almost it seems like. And if you were to just write that, I probably wouldn't be very impressed. I'd probably call that lazy writing. But when you see it, uh, I take away a totally different opinion. Well, they they reminded me a lot of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxies, the, the some of the spaceships you saw in that. Um, I haven't seen that. You haven't? Oh, it's so funny and lame all at the same time. Lame. Yeah. <laughs> um, I I really appreciated to the you got to see a wide variety of their ships because you had those big spaceships, but then you also have the carriers they use when they're going and harvesting the sand. You have the um. Uh, Firefly style helicopters, which that was really cool to see that. Yeah. Oh man, the like ships when they're on the planet mm-hmm. are crazy, mm-hmm. right? The worm scene where the machine breaks down, mm-hmm. and it's a little bit different than the book. I don't think um, uh, our our main character Paul, like when he gets hit by the spice and has this like weird hallucination i don't think it's that that vivid in the book no no it wasn't but from a like spaceship element like if i wanted to show cool spaceships to someone interested in spaceships that would be the scene and be like look cool Mm -hmm. um and related to that too i really liked the uh i'm gonna call it the assassin mosquito i don't remember what they actually called it the seeker the, the what say that again please hunter seeker hunter seeker yeah that was but i do like the assassin mosquito <laughs> it seems like a really bad fanfic it does doesn't it paul and the assassin mosquito <laughs> but i think that that was one too that just hit so much better watching it visually rather than reading about it because you really get that a better sense of how fast it was the level of skill Paul had to notice it as well as very karate kid yes very karate kid and and just kind of you got a better sense of fear and he he could have easily died you know and that mm-hmm. and also seeing the guy who was trapped in the wall and died in the wall in order to do this <laughs> like, yeah <laughs> oh yeah the other thing with like the fighting is maybe you mentioned this but like how to see the shield Mm -hmm. not only that they exist but when i think of a shield i think of like this bubble around you not this skin tight invisible shield like they show in the fighting i didn't have a good image for it again i I thought of the bubble when i was reading the book Mm -hmm. but the skin tight shield that like almost like echoed or like vibrated whenever it was hit so it wouldn't actually hit skin yeah wild yeah 
That was that was really also the other thing to go with the fighting was seeing the invasion scene. And it's dark at night, which it, you know in the book it was too. But just to see that contrast and see you have all of this amazing technology, and yet they they can't even get floodlights in here to properly see everything, and they're just getting attacked and kind of the um, juxtaposition of the invading army to the Atre Atreus, Atreus family. Atreides. Atreides, thank you. Atreides family. You know, in a essentially a castle, right? They're in a um, compound that is rock and low lighting and just the juxtaposition of that visually was really interesting and to see the two sides fighting each other and just kind of the amount of planning that went into that so i think that kind of crosses both the visual as well as to the into the um uh imperial conflict the the oh why can't i words today Political. You got to see more of the political side. And the horrible, disgusting worm man. Like, I hated him. I didn't like looking at him. Okay, but it also made it very clear on who the bad guys and the good guys were. I think I talked about this last time. I just struggled so much with so much, so many words in this 800-page beast of a book. And I was like 700 pages in and I go, I don't know who the bad guys are. Yes. But there's some amount of, like, soundtrack lighting general director views mm -hmm. that you can be like that guy that guy's the bad guy yes nobody who looks like that can be a good guy mm -hmm. with that music well and I, I think the books you don't really get a good sense of who the bad really are until you get into the second book which is where he's you know actually taking over and dealing with people more directly even even with all this fighting and everything he has very little direct interactions with the um with the fighting other than his fight at the very end he's just running and yeah he, he and his mom get captured but as far as the battle as a whole they're not you know yeah they're involved and they're affected by it but he had no control as to what instigated it And that, that made the scenes where he was fighting, I mean, for the one, was finally able to recognize that those scenes are supposed to be for like the second half of the book. Yep. Uh, the visions that he has where he's like armored up and he's like fighting these hordes of starter car, uh, that's from the second part of the book. I had no clue uh, <laughs> when I watched this the first time. I had zero idea what these visions were supposed to be showing. And... I will say that that made it a lot more satisfying to see him sort of coming into his own, you know, he expresses so much doubt and, and, uh, uh, hesitation in the early parts of this story, both the book and the movie. But when you see like kind of how he ends up at the first, first viewing, I would say that there was like no character development. Uh, but like now that I know what's coming and I see where Paul's going, I can see that gradual shift uh, 
in his in his mentality where he's not really thinking about house atreides anymore he's thinking about like this whole planet uh his purpose mm-hmm. uh and like sort of like the i guess the metaphysical like why am i here kind of question it's like he has that answer now and when he kills Jameis, there's no going back there was a good line in the movie i don't know i don't know if it was in the book but it was like when you take a life you take your own uh and then they said some stuff after that kind of like saying that you know that old you is dead now uh that one is in the book and i don't know that really from remembering it in the book but because people will quote it a lot (laughs) but i think there is some level with and this has to do with like actor casting right like Mm -hmm. timothy chalamet is 26 playing a 15 year old with air quotes around that i had a lot of trouble mentally visualizing what the bigger picture there are issues when you have a book to a movie because people have in their head how or what things should look like i think dune did this well on the whole because i couldn't wrap my brain around the book and couldn't visualize things that were happening so like when i think of a 15 year old i think of some like brawny kid who is focused on eating way too much food and probably sports to to stereotype 15 year old boys um and so i really struggled in a lot of these scenes to like envision what paul would be doing or how paul would be reacting but timothy chalamet like showed that like growth very well mm-hmm. of being a, a sweet of to a murderer but like in a good way backtrack a little bit to what Rob said earlier about the visions um the movie I mean so in the book he has the visions and they are important but the movie I got the feeling they put a lot more emphasis on it also for anyone who hasn't seen the movie and only watched the trailers and the amount of times Adea's in the trailers is about the amount of time she's in the movie (laughs) like (laughs) I I don't know why, but that just bothered me so much because I was like, okay, we get it. Because it was the same scene. It was always the same scene. It wasn't like we were getting <laughs> different bits of their future together. It was the same scene over and over. And I think after the fourth time, I was like, please be done. I have, I understand there is this chick. It's she, supply chain issues, you know? Yeah. And we just couldn't make any more of scenes. So we had to just use the same scene on a loop. Just... <laughs> Two hundred million dollar budget. Right, we and couldn't got, afford to record a separate scene. Well, she got paid. Oh, was it like three million dollars or a million dollars or something for? Yeah, like I think in total, it'd be she was on screen. What would you guys say? Fifteen minutes? Ten minutes? Yeah, about ten. Ten. Like, oh, I, I know there was so. Mo- many other things to digest in there and I remember him having more a a wider variety of visions too but they weren't because but they weren't as detailed as what they showed in the movie they were more like senses and feelings and like a vague terribleness but yeah I think they were given a lot of they were trying to give a lot of direction to the visions Mm -hmm. like show 
Paul, his visions basically all being in the same general time frame of like, here's what's like going to go on in your life. And I think that was, at least that was how I took away, you know, both when he's seeing Zendaya and also when he's, um, you know, doing all the fighting. Uh, those are pretty much all themes that would be like the, the later parts of the book. So presumably they're going to be in the second movie. Yeah. I I do think the big shift between the book and the movie is that the movie gives him a lot clearer direction. Whereas in the book, he's kind of floundering a bit more after the end. And floundering is the word that came to mind as well. It's like yeah. he just a sad 15 year old who like just keeps getting thrust into this prophecy and going, Okay. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. And he's just, he doesn't even want it. That's the other thing. And I think that's something that, um, it'll be interesting to see in the second movie if they can convey that. Because they did convey it with the mother superior, right? That this isn't something he wanted and he wasn't supposed to be here and all of this. But I, I think the second movie is where we'll, Hopefully, just like in the book, see the big shift in him. But yeah, they they gave him a purpose. Which, to be fair, if they showed the, if they showed him struggling, it would have probably had a lot more dead time of him just freaking out. So this was a, a bit of a better way to streamline that into a movie form. Um, and yeah. a lot of his struggling was like an inner monologue, yeah. right? Where yeah. he's just going, "Oh my god, what am I gonna do? Oh my god, yeah. really? Me? Are you sure?" Yeah. And that is a very different existential indie film than the sci-fi masterpiece that it is. Yes. Yeah. So. I've even as truncated as it was, I almost thought that that scene was. It it almost went on too long for me. Uh, I swear to God, like they were flying in that helicopter for like a good 10 minutes of screen time, it seemed like. And I'm just like, okay, we get it. (laughs) (laughs) So I was, I was glad that, you know, after they landed quick five minutes, you know, you get the idea. Paul knows how to survive in the desert. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is like, you know, what his life is being drawn towards. And it was satisfying too, because in, in the, books he's kind of like rude to jessica during this time frame i mean i understand that he's going through like all of his mentat awakening and all of that but honestly like you're you're 15 come on this is your mother so i appreciate it that he was still respectful to jessica like he had the one outburst where he's like you know uh get your hand off me or something like that and he commands her to do it uh but outside of that I just appreciate their relationship, you know what I mean? The the other thing that I kind of want to talk about, too, is how they finally visually introduced the Freeman, right? You had when they came to the Duke for introductions, and that I, I, I really liked mm-hmm. that scene a lot. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Um, you know, that, that's Javier Bardem. So I didn't mean to cut you off. I was just... I was blown away when I found that out. It looks nothing like him. I I just am impressed with like the costuming. Like I hope the person who did all the costumes 
for my dumb self to know who the good and bad guys were. <laughs> Wins a lot of awards and makes a lot of money. Yeah. But, like, all of the costumes were so well done. I yes. will say, I think, from the religious perspective of the Fremen, they're supposed to be much more... The, the religion that Frank Herbert made was based off of Islam, and it doesn't show through very clearly that that is the like underlying base. It's like a brand new religion, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. I think when you're trying to imitate and modify a religion from a science fiction perspective, it can lead you down a very, very bad rabbit hole very quickly. Um, but I think like the, the nuances of the religion, I'm hoping come through more in the second mm -hmm. movie. And the other thing I really appreciated after they were running in there with Duncan, right? Duncan is yeah. Jason Momoa. <laughs> <laughs> um, when they come to that, uh, the it was considered a weather site, right, or or something like that. It was a it was a science center that wasn't supposed to be in use anymore, and you have them just come out of nowhere. I think that that sets a really good tone for kind of where the second movie's gonna go. I, I, I you're talking about the Fremen. Yeah, the Fremen. Yeah, you're just ah. the sand people, right? Like, <laughs> I'm just really waiting to ride worms. Yeah, like I want to see the scene where Paul has to ride the worm and almost die, and then he gets in trouble for not asking for help. Yeah, like I am. I'm going to sit through a two and a half hour long movie just for that scene. So just to make sure I'm not misremembering the movie, they did have someone ride a worm or talked about it, right? Yeah. The, it was like at the in the very distance, end. Yeah. I like, yeah. I, I almost wish they would have just saved that for the second movie. Like I understand you got to You got to tease. Cause it's going to be, you know, good gear. This whole movie is a cliffhanger. It's a two and a half hour long cliffhanger for you to go. I, Wait, how long are you going to make me wait until I get to see the other half? I, that is one thing when the second part two comes out. I, this is going to be a movie that I definitely sit down and watch the first, the second one right after the other. And I really hope for the second movie, they, they pick up nicely right at the end of the first. I think they have it set up nice so that you could theoretically, right, get a special edition and just have it all in one and just pretty smoothly transition oh yeah and yeah. movie theaters are gonna make total bank when the second one comes out and they show the first one and have like themed meals oh, and so cute little cocktails yes. i'm already planning my own themed party that'll be at my house and we'll go to the movie theater yeah. it'll be really cute <laughs> is there anything that you guys wish was in the movie that that didn't make it from the book yes the dinner scene oh yeah i thought that dinner scene was so good in the book in terms of like explaining the cultural phenomenon around water right in the book um the duke like pours out his water and that's like the biggest sin of all time is abandoning water in this culture that uses water as it's essentially like taking a hundred dollar bill and just burning it in front of everyone and saying everyone else to get a hundred and burn burn it and so 
the fact that that got cut, I understand why it was so detailed and it was redundant in some sense. But that scene was one of my favorites in the book, and I was really sad that it wasn't there. Yeah, that was a good one for sure. I th I think they probably cut that out because it does make Leto look kind of stereotypical noble, mm -hmm. which in the book he actually kind of is. Yeah. <laughs> but I think they they wanted him to have a more heroic image in the movie. They they, uh, they definitely made him much more heroic. Like in the book, he's still a good person, but he's also an aristocrat. He's still is the ruler and makes hard decisions. Whereas, yeah, in the movie, they make him out to be a little more altruistic. Yeah. Uh, I mean, for a movie that was as long as it was, I'd say it's fine uh, to just, yeah, give us that brief sort of image of Leto. I mean, I feel like I understand him. I do wish, I think I made the same complaint about the book, but there was more of it in the book. Um, to see a little bit more of his, his interactions um, with Jessica and like the household in general. Um, yeah. There was a good amount of discussion. I, rec I recall that he had with Gurney. Uh, whereas I think in the movie, he talks to Gurney in like two scenes. Uh, and then there are scenes where like they're both present, but like there's no focus on their interaction. Mm -hmm. And I get that. But it is kind of important, I think, in the later half of the story, assuming that they take the same tack with how the people of, you know, this house feel about Leto. Like, they're super committed to him. They're super just devoted to this man. And that causes, like, a big source of uh, conflict for Jessica in particular in the later half of the book. So I wonder what they'll do with that in the movie. Because I... I I kind of don't see how that would work this time around. Yeah. I will say also a lot of the juiciness <laughs> of uh, Baron Harkonnen was was taken away for the movie uh, for plebeians like you, Joe, to just be able to clearly see who's good and who's bad. <laughs> Thank you. But it was I, like, so. It was do, so like, a good. Young watchers edition that has like a nice <laughs> pop up that says "bad guy Hugh, good guy, <laughs> traitor." Like, <laughs> I need. I'm. We talked about this ages ago. Like, I love middle grade because it makes my brain work the right amount, mm -hmm. and I need middle grade versions of movies that are really complicated, so that uh, I can look at my phone in the middle of it and not go shoot what I missed. <laughs> Yeah, well, it was it was missed for me. I, I did really enjoy his character. Just the way that he like delighted in his own evil was uh, it was kind of Disney esque. You know, sometimes it was almost <laughs> too ham fisted or not ham fisted, um, hammy. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, it was just so I don't know. It was just enjoyable to see this guy is like, yes, I'm bad, <laughs> and I know it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he was a lot more Insert maniacal laugh. <laughs> <laughs> he was just outright like sinister in the movie. Uh real like kind of like joyless person. Uh you know, the book kind of gives him like a life. Like he's a fully fleshed out character in the book. And in the movie he's 
he's very much like, I'm evil, and I want you to know it. <laughs> yeah, very, very two-dimensional, and it was nice to see that expanded on. Sam, did you say what you missed out in the... So I actually... Mine has more to do with the political games and the family games. I think the book, we got a lot more detail about that. And and again, that that has more to do with because it's, you know, an inner thoughts of Paul as well as just the background of the Mm. whole setup. Mm -hmm. Because, yes, we understand that they start at their home world and then they're going to the world of Dune and they're going there to take over... But we don't fully get all of the subtleties that went into that choice and kind of what the Duke went through before he finally got there. And kind of, um, we get some of it, just not not quite as much. We're just missing some of that court intrigue, um, which I think is important to the entire universe of Dune, right? Because this is a universe where the royal families, the aristocrats, own entire worlds. So it's not like they are mm-hmm. getting together with the emperor on anything even remotely close to a regular basis, right? I, I think um, Paul has never actually seen the emperor himself. Uh, and so that is one thing that you can get from the movie, but we aren't fully aware of how many houses there are because if i remember cor- correctly there's a number of houses and that there are a lot more players than just these two houses and the emperor um, yeah and that but to put that in a movie for everyone who is confused that wouldn't make it less confusing <laughs> i would just give you more names and more houses and more characters to keep track of that i'm sure would not go well <laughs> So. Yeah, he could barely do it in the book. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, but it, I think, and that's could... enough. Oh, sorry. Oh, I I think it could have. If they end up doing more than just this one book, that's something that would end up being useful and helpful. But I I'm sure these will continue to be you know, uh, uh produced. Like, th- this first movie made so much money, and it was just so well done. I mean, I don't know anybody who didn't like it. I mean, maybe you were confused, but... Yeah, I, no one disliked it. All The only thing I heard was, yeah, people were very confused. Um, let, speaking of how much money this made, just for reference, this movie made $400 million. And coming out of, you know, the dark times, that is really impressive. So... Right. I still didn't know that many people who went and saw this in, in theaters, so they, they did a good job with it. Oh, yeah. And yeah, it's just it's just one of those names, right? Like, you probably heard it at some point in your life, even if you don't know what it is. And I think the more they lean into, or excuse me, the more they grow that name, I could, I mean, the second movie, will probably make like triple what this one made because people are going to be skeptical. People are going to be nervous. Two and a half hour movie about a desert. No, thank you. Uh, but once you get okay, but a Jason chance, Momoa you know, is a total hottie, right? Jason also, <laughs> yeah, no, they had huge star power. Yeah. I mean, just about every lead character in this so, okay, so movie was a star. star power though. Okay. 
So that is one thing I actually did kind of have a problem with this movie. Jason Momoa worked really well. That was the other thing that I, I wanted. I wanted more Duncan time because I think we had a lot more Duncan time in the book. Uh, because he was a- It was also just clear, like, how much of, like, a really cool... I'm trying not to curse here. Yeah. Like, he's so cool. He's, he's a really interesting character who has just this level of control and decision-making and also, he, yes, Paul's father was a huge, you know, um, enforce, influence in his life. But Duncan had a more direct and really, I think, had a lot more influence with Paul than his dad did. Because he was there with him all of the time until they got to yeah. Dune. Um, but, so Jason Momoa, I think, was a really good fit because outside of, oh, he's famous, he... He did such a good job with Duncan, and from the moment you saw him and he's out there and he's, you know, kind of playing with with uh, Paul and just having a little bit of a good time, but also able to turn serious in a moment and still have that, um, that soldier's mentality about him. He did so good! But then you have other characters that I think would have benefited from having lesser known, right? So... And I'm going to poke at Zendaya again because I think they brought her in because she's a big name character to get people to come watch it. And I would have, I think, rather have seen an unknown that wasn't going to really influence how I viewed that character. Because we don't get any of her character. It's so slow to unfurl that right now it seems like it's more influenced by her character in Spider-Man. <laughs> than it is by just the character within Dune. And I... For the Freeman... I mean, you talked about it, Rob. The main Freeman... What's the actor's name again? Javier Bardem. Oh, yeah, oh. You, you couldn't recognize him. Like, you didn't know, know who he was. Yeah, I and, had no idea. And I think that that is um, something that for Shawnee as a character, I would have rather seen a lesser known. Or, or you put enough makeup and special effects on them that I can't recognize them. <laughs> I... Yeah. Even with the still suits on, you could, <laughs> you've just seen Zendaya's face enough to know that's Zendaya. Well, and like with yeah. Timothy, the Paul's actor, right? He. I don't know him. I don't recognize him really from anything. I think he has been in quite a few things, but he yeah. it doesn't have that same effect of I'm not watching it for him. I'm watching it for the movie. So. Uh, well, I, I, I do agree with that, but I think probably what the director was thinking, because the director is like yeah. a massive fan of Dune, yeah. is with that sense that Paul has of these visions and like uh, you know he's basically like on the precipice of being in love with this girl just from these visions I think it does work kind of well I'm, I'm sure this was a, an idea that they had mm -hmm. to give you someone that you know you've seen Zendaya a lot uh, obviously she's very good looking young girl so here's these visions of, you know, you keep seeing this beautiful girl, but you don't know who she is. Come watch the movie so you can find out how you know her. Or, you know, uh, come finally meet her in person. 
Uh, I mean, it worked for me because let me tell you, I'll probably watch anything that hasn't dead. <laughs> yeah, I I think the casting was done really, really well. It was just, like I said, they teased her so much and she's barely in it. And like, she's even very prominently on the, the movie poster. And it's like, ah, at least like make her look like, I, I at least put her like in a sandstorm or something. So you vaguely see her like, oh, who is that? Um, but that's just a personal uh, thing I had with the movie so I think it like them being very well known I think the casting was done really well yeah like I don't there wasn't anybody that sometimes people are cast especially in films around books that have been around for a while that have been done multiple times and you have this idea of like oh, this person just feels like they're trying to fit into shoes that are their own size, you know? And I I didn't get that. It was also, like, very diverse from a, like, true diversity perspective. It's not as whitewashed as I think the 1984 one is. Yeah. Um, and I, as somebody, and I'm going to tell you guys a secret, but I've never seen any Spider-Man movie ever. So, like, I, I'm not influenced because all of these people have been in movies that I haven't seen because I don't wow. really watch movies. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Yo, are you sure oh. that you live in this time period? That's why, or are that's you why like... she's on the podcast doing it in this format so she watches movies. It could be like, you know, yeah. more hits of the times. <laughs> it's forcing me to watch a lot more TV. I couldn't tell you the last time I sat down for two and a half hours straight. Like, guys, I watched Shrek last week, and I had to split it in half because I couldn't sit still for two hours. Oh. So I watched the first half, and then a week later, I watched the second half of I Shrek. Can't, I can't say anything. A lot of movies that I watch and TV shows, I am sewing at the same time. So, you know. But this movie, there's like, there's the sign language, there's a yeah, subtle yeah. sandstorm, there's a 10 second conversation. You have to be in it. Oh, yeah. And so, yeah. um, do do not prepare to get anything else done while watching this movie. I, in, a, in a good way. Here's a funny story with watching this movie. So I watched it in theaters when it came out. And then when I went home over um, for, for the holidays this winter... Uh, my parents had it and we started watching it and they both just walked away and I'm like I'm not stopping this and they came back 10 minutes later and they were asking all these questions I'm like no I'm not no you've missed too much you've missed too much you'll have to start it again and so it took them they had to try like four different times before they finally just put it on on like a Wednesday night and sat there and I'm like you gotta do that. There's no, there's no other way to do it with this movie. You just, you gotta watch it. I will say the real estate time that is used in the, the hundred and fifty six minutes it takes up, every minute counts. Yep. Which is really nice, right? I think. Uh, there are other movies that are really long, that, I could trim fat, but like. There is no fat to trim here, in my opinion. And it would have benefited from maybe small additions or other things. Yeah. I, oh, uh, no, I think it's a really good movie. I think that they did a fantastic job of turning Dune 
into a live action movie. I, I think they did a really good job of capturing what Dune is. And the, the other thing that I do appreciate with this one <clears throat> is that you get these beautiful visuals and score, but it, they also keep that sense of, it's not a bright, happy film. They didn't try and make this into something that it's not. They kept the overall tone while still incorporating those light moments that were in the book. Oh yeah, that was... Uh, that was one thing that the music was really good for. Oh, yeah. The soundtrack of this film is just, fe- I mean, it is phenomenal. It's Hans Zimmerman. I mean, did you expect anything? It's Hans that? Zimmer. <laughs> and you know what? He's also a big fan of Dune. I, I read how he like, he turned down another movie because he was just working that hard on the soundtrack for this one. I did a fantastic job and they also because of that they won best original score yes at the academy awards nice deserved it like completely deserved it i think the other thing that was really nice is it is hans zimmerman but it was so different from any of the other scores that he's ever done and i really appreciated the fact that hey this is a desert world we're going to bring in desert cultural music and you know kind of incorporate it into this um i I will say there was one soundtrack i'm I'm sure there's more if i listen to all of his collection uh there's a soundtrack from uh the dark knight rises Mm -hmm. um the batman movie where when he's in like this big um hole (laughs) in the desert and he has to like climb out there's this song that I really, really like. It's called Deshi Basra or something like that. And it's like a chant. Yep. Kind of kind of like how uh, Paul's theme is. Mm-hmm. And that one's... You, you could see uh, some similarities there. And, but and yeah. I think that if I remember correctly, the um, type of music, like the, the vocals that were utilized to make that, it, it's called, I believe, Throat Singing? I believe like it's a oh, yeah. specific type of singing and um, there's some uh, musicians that it's just really beautiful to, to listen to uh, very different from American culture music for sure but it was yeah. really, really the Sardaukar they had like a, a throat singer and Oh man, it just cements like how just villainous uh, <laughs> these Sardaukar is supposed to be. Where you just hear like this. I think there was like no music. You just had them like standing information, and they've just got this throat singer, just you know throat singing in the background. Uh, while I guess it's supposed to be Piter uh, is meeting up with them and like you know hey, see so you're gonna come help us, right? Ah. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Yeah, the score all around, uh, like Paul's theme, the like the main theme that you think of when you think of this movie, it's called Paul's theme. That's like actually on my playlist. Like I just listen to that if I'm like on a long drive, or even when I'm working out. Uh, I love it that much. I just I just put it on. But yeah, did you guys feel? 
like the the movie well i guess it did uh i was gonna ask about Erolon, the the little um i don't know what you call them like excerpts from the books that she's written yeah the like notations at the beginning of the chapters right yeah, yeah we didn't have yeah. that at all in the movie right yeah it's it's Correct. i mean it's not like a big part of the book but it's pretty constant uh, did you guys feel like any of that could have been in the movie i think it i think similar to the inner monologues it wouldn't have had a place i yeah if if this was if the movie was kind of truncated so that you had those long pause moments then it would work because then you would include it at that point the only other way i could see this being included is like if they could make the snippets relative to or put it in when say the um carrier stops working right and then there's a line there or when he first encounters the spice and you have it like very faintly at the bottom almost more like easter eggs if that makes sense i think yeah oh, interesting yeah I could see it being if it was a like TV show yep, yeah. where they would like put it at the beginning and then maybe at the end. Yep. That, yeah. That would be long. So, I do think. But like in right. the movie format, I yeah. I think you are right in that it does end up kind of missing, not having that. You do then miss the influence and the implied influence that he ends up having over the entire empire. Um, mm hmm. But I don't think it takes away from the film not having that. Yeah, I agree. And it's, it's kind of one of those things, like, how, how could you possibly fit it in? And that leads to a thought that I have, where when Paul has his visions, a lot of the time he hears, like, this voice along with his visions. Mm -hmm. And I think that's supposed to be Irulan's voice. But I don't know. I think you're right. I think you're right. But on that note, though, so how many water droplets <laughs> would you give? Water tokens? Water tokens. There we go. I don't, we've, we've done water tokens for something else, too. I don't. I think we did it for the book. Oh, we did. Okay, yeah. it was for the book. That's right. Okay. <laughs> um, how many hunter seekers there we go <laughs> <laughs> mosquito assassins <laughs> how many mosquito assassins would you give this movie i can start i would give i'd probably give it nine hunter seekers out of ten like i really enjoyed this movie i was genuinely surprised that i enjoyed this movie and it made me enjoy the book more and enjoy the movie more because i did both parts right the the background of the book helped me understand the movie and the movie helped me understand the larger picture of the book and scenes that maybe weren't shown in the movie so mm -hmm. i am very very pleased um also, I could watch Timothy Chalamet. 
all day, every day. I want him to be in more movies now. Like, I, I want to watch him in more I movies. want him to be more mainstream than indie, yes. but then maybe that would lose his appeal if he was no longer indie. I don't know. I don't I know. Like he, well, He's he just was, a little he, cutie patootie. Joe, you know what? I want to be near. We could watch him in The King. Yeah, that's a really good movie, by the way. Which is, a, and it is a base, or is a um, based on a bunch of plays from Shakespeare. I, you know, we could do that sometime. So okay. let's put that in the memory bank. <laughs> Sam, how many how many hunter seekers? Oh, a solid nine. A solid nine. The only reason it isn't ten is this movie is fantastic. I don't think I could sit down and watch it like over and over again definitely will keep watching it and like looking forward to it um but i think it was really well done fantastic score really good acting um also i could have used some more jason momoa like that that'd be the <laughs> for be... someone who wanted stars you want more jason momoa I want more... okay because momoa he's not in enough things man He's not, he's not in enough things. And Duncan's a you, really Ron? great character. Oh. He is. Oh, he is. He is. I, I love Duncan. So upset that he died, man. So. <laughs> Take that up with Frank Herbert. Excuse me, sir. Well, I will give it a, a very solid nine as well. I think the only thing that keeps it from being a ten, this has to do with the story itself. Um, obviously not a huge fan of Dune in and of itself but I think that this movie made Dune like as good as it could be uh, while still you know for the most part keeping true to the source material so solid 9 for me solid 9 there was a one more thing that I wanted to mention though that yeah. uh, I didn't I didn't dislike it but in the books, they kind of have this, they have like a couple sayings or just expressions that aren't in the movie. Uh, one of them being what the Fremen say, like, a man splashes his own, but his water belongs to the tribe. Yeah. I don't think they said that mm. in the movie. And it's such a, no. it's such a good that. line for them. They, they did have something about, you know, the water belongs to the people because they were taking... Uh, the guy's body with them. Yeah. But, yeah, no, they, they definitely didn't have those. I wonder if they'll come in in the next movie, though. Because the next movie is going to have a lot more Fremen. Way, way, way more. Oh, yeah. Uh, they'll have, like, a million opportunities to say it, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. But uh, that and when the, um, what do you call it? When the people land to uh, give the decree that the emperor has, you know, uh, given Arrakis to House Atreides. In the books, that, uh, I guess, statement that Leto makes mm -hmm. gets kind of repeated. And I actually, I don't know why, but I like that a lot. And I had to actually look it up to remember what they said. It says, our sublime Padishah Emperor has charged me to take possession of this planet and end all dispute. I like how like formal that sounds. I like the fact that it, I don't know, it, it feels like an edict, right? That's coming from yeah. this higher authority. Like this is 
something that you would write in like a bill of law. <laughs> uh, and that was kind of missing. I mean, the line that they do have, uh, what does he say? He says like, we're a house of Trades. There's no call that we do not answer, no faith that we betray. The emperor asks us to take, bring peace to Iraq as house of Trades accepts. All right. Fantastic line. But it also, you know, it's like a one-time thing. I'm saying that we're going to do it, and that's it. Versus that feeling that you get from the book line. So that was kind of a very small missed opportunity, I thought. Well, I think this is the first time we all had the exact same rating for one of the movies. Right. I, <laughs> I think so. Oh. I, I really appreciated it, but again, it is longer than I normally would watch, and I really wish there were like some subtleties that I wish were in there um, that got cut for whatever reason that they chose. Hey, maybe, well, maybe someday they'll have a extended edition, and I, I wouldn't be surprised <laughs> if they maybe did. I'm not going to get my scenes. hopes up, but I'm hopeful. Uh, yeah. yeah. It'll be like the Snyder Cut. <laughs> it just adds like an extra two and a half hours. <laughs> For the book nerds who were mad the first time, here you go. Yep. We filmed well, the entire book scene for scene. <laughs> uh, including all of Paul's inner monologues. Yes. Oh. You asked for it. We gave it to you? Mm-hmm. <laughs> what you wish for. Well, thank you guys so much for listening. We hope you join us again next time when we'll be discussing drumroll, please. Bridgerton. Oh my gosh. I am so excited, y'all. I have somehow avoided watching the TV show and watching or reading the book for the last few years, and it's going to be a little treat, and it's going to be divine. It's going to be the peak of my romance obsessions. I'm so excited to not I, I be mean, reading science fiction anymore. I am only doing oh. this because of the podcast. I was never planning on reading or watching this show. So, good job. <laughs> Guys, we are in my element. <laughs> <laughs> to have you guys here. Until then, subscribe, drop a like, and send us any comments on Instagram at Athenium Podcast or at Athenium Podcast Lit at gmail.com. Thanks, Thanks y'all. Bye. Bye.